Kids are dismissed for kids' praise. And uh, if you can open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy 2, or if you have your phone apps, you can turn there too. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, there's a lot of false teaching in uh, Timothy's day, in Apostle Paul's day, who wrote this letter to Timothy, and there's a lot of false teaching in our day as well. Ephesus was the context uh, where Timothy was living and Paul was writing to him. Uh, in, in Ephesus, and it was a huge metropolis of a city, sort of like San Francisco or uh, New Orleans. Um, today, it would be the modern-day Turkey, would be Ephesus. It was known in, back in those days, though, for its worship of Artemis or Diana. There was a huge temple uh, in her honor, and uh, we, know, we know that there was demonic forces behind this false goddess, if you will, she was the goddess known for sexual morality, immorality, um, I'm sorry, fertility. And because of that, it led to sexual immorality, which was rampant in the temple of Artemis. It was not only legal, it was considered spiritual. They had these temple prostitutes, and you'd come and, and, and have her favor, the goddess's favor, if you visit the temple and engage in things like this. Today, uh, we engage we don't engage we we know that there's sex trafficking that's rampant in our nation as well as prostitution huge problems in america but at least they're not legal and at least they're not considered normal like they were in ephesus so we have one step up on ephesus as far as morality goes so what did paul recommend to the church amidst such rampant degradation and how, and, and how can we be an effective contributor and witness in our depraved culture? 1 Timothy 2, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. What if God wouldn't do anything in our lives or in our nation unless we prayed? God did nothing. He was dependent on our prayers. What if that happened? Would we pray more, do you think? Well, the fact is, he doesn't do anything, according to John Wesley, God does not do anything but an answer to prayer. He does nothing but an answer to prayer. James puts it this way, we have not because we ask not. God um, wants to participate with his body. The head wants to be participant with the body and not severed from the body. And so he he trusts that we will pray and depend on him. Paul stresses four kinds of prayers here. Petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. Petitions are simply our requests for our felt needs. Prayers would be um, acts of reverent worship like we just engaged in. Um, intercession would be, come from the word interview. Um, it's a personal conversation with God. You know, you're just conversing with God as if he hears you. We're interceding. And then thanksgiving you know what that means. We thank God for who he is and what he's done in our lives. So there are these different types of prayers. Paul mentions four of them. Who should we pray for? He says pray for all people, which means all who come across our paths or who might come into our minds, we lift them up to God because God chooses to work according to our prayers. Also, verse 2, we are to pray for kings and all those in authority. They are included in the everyone. In other words, we pray for our leaders. That would have been a huge ask in those days for Paul to make 
uh, to the Ephesians Christians because, after all, Nero was the emperor at the time, one who lit Rome on fire and accused Christians of, uh, of doing this. Therefore, he persecuted the Christians. He burned them at the stake. He, he threw them into the lines for, for game. He was one who wouldn't think twice and didn't think twice about murdering his wife and some of his sons. This was Nero. And yet, we are to show respect for the office of his leadership, even if we disagree with him. And we're to pray for him. Why should we pray for leaders like this, knowing that they're evil? Well, I think Paul considered himself a leader, Pharisee of Pharisees, but yet, when he, before he was the Apostle Paul, who was he? He was Saul of Tarsus, who was putting to death Christians, in prison, you know, arresting them, putting them in prison, hunting them down. In fact, he murdered, he was responsible for martyring the first Christian martyr. Um, who would be who? Remember? Stephen. Stephen got stoned under Paul's watch. Stephen prayed for Saul as Saul was standing there observing, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, including Saul. Saul may have heard this. And then later on, he would have recalled the words of Jesus while Jesus hung on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We are to pray for our leaders. Why? That, they, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Peaceful means an inner peace. Quiet lives means an outer peace. I remember going to the state fair many years ago, like five or six years ago, walking through one of those Buildings where you get free yardsticks and such, free suckers. Well, that's what, what I was pursuing. But I remember walking past a couple booths, one on this side as I turned the corner, and then one on this side, almost catty corner to it. And one was a, uh, a pro-choice booth uh, for family planning. And this one right across was a right to life, a pro-life booth. And I just remember looking at the people there and they're they peddling their stuff and brochures and they were, hey, come over here. And, and they were standing up and they were pretty aggressive. And I remember, I remember thinking, I don't want to talk to them. But then I looked across and there were these uh, four or five uh, people just sitting there, just smiling and just very calm. Inner peace and outer peace. And I just remember the stark contrast as I looked at both of these booths. One displayed the attitude of Christ, in my mind anyway. And I think this is what Paul was saying. Um, our inner peace and our quiet lives will, will draw attention to me. I believe this kind of inner peace and outer peace would be displayed in the fruit of the Spirit within believers. We can look back to Jeremiah as well, the prophet Jeremiah, um, to discover a connection here. The exiles were freaking out because they were carried off from Jerusalem and they were having to live as, as captives in exile in Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were forced into slave labor. Well, these self-proclaimed prophets of Israel, who were also exiles, <laughs> they spoke on behalf of God to the people of Israel. And they said in, in chapter 28 of Jeremiah, they said, well, this is what they said, I'll just read it. This is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says through these prophets, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back 
all of you to Israel or to Jerusalem. I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar and we shall return to our homeland. And all the people responded, Amen. They were greatly comforted that within two years' time they'd be back in their homeland. But then God spoke to Jeremiah and said, Hey, Jeremiah, there's a lot of false prophets of, of Israel and they're not, they're not pleasing to me. You are my only true prophet here. Tell these people this. Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And this is what Jeremiah spoke to them in verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Where? In Babylon, in exile. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile, into enemy peoples, enemy land. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord says in verse 10. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then this verse that we quote. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Seventy years in exile, and you're saying, I have plans to prosper you and give you hope, and we're stuck here for 70 years? You've got to be kidding. Thanks a lot, Jeremiah. Thanks for the good word. No wonder he was called the weeping prophet, because no one wanted to listen to him. They listened to the false prophets. They didn't want to listen to God's true prophet. You're prophesying things we don't want to hear. No, 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 no. We too are living as exiles and aliens and strangers and foreigners on this place we call earth because our kingdom is not of this earth. Our kingdom is elsewhere and we're living for eternity. We are just passing through as exiles, children of God, We won't completely fit in here. So what are we to do in the meantime? Let us seek the peace and prosperity of all those on the earth. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, we too will uh, prosper. Then in preparation, I read the context for 1 and 2 Timothy in the book of Acts. I read about Ephesus in 19 and 20 of Acts. The believers had just witnessed this great turning to the Lord, this revival. They experienced a supernatural outpouring of God's miraculous powers through the Apostle Paul. People were getting healed left and right. And then people uh, turned to the Lord and away from their occult practices. In fact, we're told that uh, they they took 50,000 days worth of waged books and scrolls and they burned them in the center of town. There's a revival and turning to the one true God. (laughs) But not all in the city were that happy about it. Namely, the business owners, the manufacturers of the idols to the goddess Artemis. They blew a gasket when they realized that they could potentially lose their livelihoods because people were turning to the one true God and away from the goddess. So we read in Acts 19.24, a silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And he called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, 
You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Can you believe that? There's danger not only in that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, she'll be robbed of her divine majesty. And when they heard this, all the glory turned to anger. When they heard this, they were furious and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city, city was in uproar. And the people seized Gaius and Aristarchus and Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And all of them rushed into the theater together. Mass confusion broke out. People were on the brink of rioting. And just in the nick of time, a city leader stood up after a couple of hours of, of just the city going crazy. They were right about to attack the Christians right after the re revival. Remember, Paul and his companions had been ministering in Ephesus for three years. Well, the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Amen. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You've been brought, uh, you have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed our temples nor blasphemed our goddess. They had not blasphemed our goddess. They had been there for three years proclaiming the gospel, and they had not once spoken out against this false goddess, this demonic goddess responsible for all of the degradation in the land, they hadn't spoken out against her or the temple. I find that fascinating. That got me thinking. What kind of speech are Christians known for today? Are we more known for speaking out against all the evil and corruption? Or are we known for speaking on behalf of what of God, what we're in favor of? Are, are we most known for attacking the lie or promoting the truth? According to Jim Dennison, he said, instead of looking at the world around us and lamenting at how lost they seem to be, what if we shifted our focus instead to asking God how we can best bless the lives of, the, of those around us? Put our prayers into action. Christians in America have done this historically, he writes. In America, congregations, Christian institutions, faith-based businesses contribute roughly $1.2 of, of socioeconomic value to the country, which is equivalent to the world's 15th largest national economy. And then Glenn MacDonald, he, he, uh, he wrote about this professor named Dale Bruner who was teaching at Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington, and he was approached by one of his students, a skeptical student, who said, the church is only about talk. That's all they ever do is talk. They never do anything. To which Professor Bruner asked a student for the names of the major hospitals in Spokane. And this student replied a little sheepishly, well, we got Sacred Heart, Deaconess, St. Luke's, 
Holy Family Hospital. Oh. In other words, churches started these hospitals. Furthermore, Spokane's two private institutions of higher learning also have spiritual roots. Gonzaga, founded by the Jesuits, and Whitworth University, a project of the Presbyterians to teach students how to study the Bible and go into ministry. No culture in history can hold a candle to the West when it comes to giving and caring. The parable of the Good Samaritan changed forever what it means to encounter people in need. The answer in the East has traditionally been the suffering church deserved their fate. The suffering surely deserved their fate. Not the suffering church. The suffering surely deserved their fate. And in the West, the impulse has become the suffering surely deserve our help. And so historically, that's what it was like in the West. We cranked out the missionaries way more than any other. Well, does this mean, though, if we're to speak positive, does it mean we should never call out sin? I would say no. However, I think that we are to focus on speaking the truth positively rather than speaking out against all the negative stuff. I think that will be a more contagious witness. Let me give you some examples. We teach marriage is between a man and a woman. That's what we teach. We don't attack those who differ. We just teach the truth. Or we say marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. That's what the Bible teaches. The opposite, we know the opposite, right? Every human, whether born or unborn, has been faithfully and wonderfully, fearfully and wonderfully made and has the right to life. That's what we teach. We teach in Christ there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We are all equal in God's eyes. Um, we teach Jesus is the only way to God the Father and eternal life. And so Paul would say the same thing in chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. It's the man Christ Jesus. He gave himself as a ransom for all people. In Rome, when they were commanded to, to cry, Caesar is Lord, you know, that was the edict. Caesar is Lord. Well, the Christians wouldn't say that. They would simply say, no, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is our Lord. And for that, they got persecuted. They didn't have to say, Caesar is a liar. He's evil. He's satanic. They didn't have to say that. They simply said, Jesus is Lord. I think parenting, uh, someone told me here, that parenting styles, and uh, oftentimes we're taught not to say negative things like, you shouldn't do that, don't do that, don't do that, shouldn't, you know, to, to the children. Rather, you look for positive ways to say the same thing. We walk in the hallway. Um, we don't eat dirt. Well, I guess that's a negative. We eat food. That's what we eat, you know. So, uh, see, I, see, I was a bad parent. Uh, Paul chose not to attack or speak out against Artemis. I find that incredible. In the three years, there was not one testimony against him speaking out against this false goddess. Instead, he focused on the good news of Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Salvation is offered to even the enemies of God right now. Just turn to him. This is our primary purpose as a church, presenters of good news. The church is the only organization that exists for the primary benefit of its non-members. 
Judas Iscariot got it exactly wrong, the opposite. His approach focused on the demise of his enemies as a zealot. For three years, Judas had hoped that Jesus would lead Israel to kick some Roman behind. But instead, the only thing Jesus could talk about was love, 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 love. I'm getting sick of hearing about this. Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. Man. I was was experiencing the inner Judas here. When, when, Jesus, when Jesus would not respond to Judas's hope, then after three long years, Judas figured he'd take matters in his own hands. He'd force the hand of Jesus. He said, I'm going to betray Jesus into the hands of the enemies, and when they come for him, then he will surely unleash his miraculous powers, and the kingdom of God will finally come into fruition. Thank you very much, Judas the hero. But we all know that this did not happen. It did not play out that way. Rather, Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword, man. We don't do that. That's not how we do things. And he said, you got to love your enemies. Hey, my kingdom is not of this world, he said. In other words, we will not overcome the sinful world by using worldly methods of power over people. We will instead do so by practicing the power of love. And love conquers our enemies. Love wins our enemies. Jesus said, now I will show you the extent of my love. And he subjected himself to the cross. Greater is no, uh, there's no greater example than some, someone lay down their life for friends. Why are we to pray for kings and those in authority? Verse 3, it says, because it's good. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Well, how will we be effective at achieving this goal of leading others to the knowledge of truth? First, by praying for all people. And then here are some ways to put action to our prayer, just three quick bullet point type things, and then we'll be done. We need to examine our attitudes. Pray for the kings and those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. Paul instructed us to promote the good news of salvation by living peaceful and quiet lives. It doesn't mean you have to be an introvert and shy. You can be outspoken and and loud, but it means that especially in your relationship with others and the heat of conflict, we display peace, inner peace, and outer peace. And then for men, specifically in verse 8, Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Holy hands mean blameless, without unrepentant sin in your life. Without anger, good terms, being on good terms with one another, and without disputing. Um, You can have an open disagreement without being disagreeable. How many know, though, that anger and disputing do not equate to quiet and peaceful lives? So men were encouraged to live peaceful and quiet lives. That would be a strong witness, compelling witness. Women, in verse 11, and women should also learn in quietness and full submission. Peaceful and quiet attitudes for both men and women so that we direct others to the knowledge of truth. And so that's our attitude. We need to examine our attitude Uh, Secondly, we need to choose our words wisely. 
Peter goes on in verse 15, chapter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. For the, when you encounter people who really disagree with you, get in your face, gentleness and respect. Peter, uh, would, uh, Paul, Apostle Paul would agree with Peter. In Colossians, Paul wrote, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Ephesians 4 Paul writes, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, that it may benefit those who listen. But you might be thinking, can't we ever become angry? And I would say, yeah, anger is a legitimate emotion, but we're instructed in our anger, do not sin. In other words, when we become angry, refrain from accusing the other person. Refrain from slandering the other person. Refrain from uh, um, ascribing motives, you know, trying to figure out their motives and blaming them. You know, how many times did I think I misapply that and, and be proven wrong? It means we don't retaliate. In our anger, we maintain an attitude of peace and respect and self-control. And we choose our words carefully. I was watching a conservative political thing. On, it was an open-air kind of debate going on. And there was this table set out in a park, and there were these two conservative leaders out there, of whom I will not mention. And there was a whole crowd. They were asking questions, and this young one woman stood up, and she looked really hardened. And she started accusing these two leaders and, and started slandering them, uh, to which they responded in like manner. They were drawn into the anger and they stood up and they started accusing her and, and slandering her in return. And I got thinking, what are you doing? You're, you're destroying your witness here because they got sucked into it. It was a public display in debate. It was unfortunate. <clears throat> we need to choose our words wisely if we're to maintain a witness that will lead others to Christ. Well, how will we be effective in leading others to Christ and the knowledge of truth? How can we please God, our Savior? We need to examine our attitudes. We need to choose our words. And then finally, we need to practice good deeds. Verse 9. I also want women to dress modestly in decency and propriety, etc., etc. Verse 10. Um, but, um, I'm sorry. Not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Good deeds. In other words, put your prayers into action. Um, and if you look at this next picture, this was a picture taken yesterday when 15 or so uh, of our people went out to put the walls up. It was just a slab. That's our house for Oak Harbor Cottages. And so we caught up to the Baptist. Um, <laughs> Mennonites are light years ahead of us, but still. Uh, think of all the businesses, though, in town that are blessed and will be blessed because God's churches are uh, building these homes. You know? And, and it's good for our economy, I guess. But also, think of how many people these ten homes, once they're up, will bless, will lead to Christ because of his compassion and love. Effective witnesses for Christ will be marked by good deeds. 
by positive attitudes and by using tactful words. Now, lest we take these three things and make it legalistic, we need to do this, this, and this, it all comes back to the very first point. We can do it legalistically and be as good as we can, but really we're empowered by the Spirit within. So it leads back to the first point. We need to pray. Dependent, depend on our Lord because it's the Spirit of God who changes us and shines through us in these ways. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this church. We thank you, Lord, for the many ministries that are demonstrated here and how we love one another. We know we can do better. There's always better as we pursue you and your will. But, Lord, I I am so grateful for this church and these people. Continue to lead us, Lord, that we may bear the fruit of the Spirit from within as we pray for others, as we, we have the right attitude and use the right words and serve in the right ways as well, Lord. Empower all that we do for your glory and your church. In Christ's name, amen.